And once you get there, um, if you would please stand for the reading of God's word. So, First Peter chapter one, verse twenty-two through verse, verse uh, chapter two, verse three. Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. By the word of God, which lives and abides forever. For all flesh is as grass, and the glory of the man as the flower of the grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, and all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings, as newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the word that you have given to us, that you have passed down through so many generations. Um, that has been translated. It's been translated into our own language so that we can understand it. God, thank you so much for that. Um, we're so thankful for all the blessings you have bestowed upon us. Um, the ones, the, the blessings you give us every day, the common grace of being able to breathe and eat and enjoy the sights and sounds around us to the special grace that you've given us through Christ for those who would believe where we have been freed from our sins and we can live with you forever. Lord, I pray that you would uh, be with me tonight, help me to preach your word and uh, to make the message clear. And Lord, that our hearts and ears and minds would, mind would be open to understand your word and what it is you're saying to us. Lord, thank you for everything you've done. It's in your name we pray. Or in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So, we have a lot going on in this text. We've been going through 1 Peter, if you remember. We started, uh, I think it's key, in, in the book of 1 Peter. When we look back, we need to remember, why was Peter writing? Peter's writing, if you remember back in chapter 1, um, we see that he's writing to Christians who are scattered throughout Turkey, or modern-day Turkey, he says that they are, uh, in verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace and be multiplied. And then he wants to encourage them to keep living through persecution. And he tells them that these tests and trials they're going for, in verse 7, are to make your faith more precious than of gold that perisheth. Um, and that they would love God who they have not seen. And then he tells them that um, that you, because he who has called you is holy, so you are to be holy, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy, he says in verse 16. And he tells them that they were saved not with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, but rather the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And we see that in verse 19. So we go to today's text. He's continuing that thought, starting there in verse 22, and we're going through uh, the third verse of chapter 2. So what does it mean to be pure? What are we talking about when we say purification? And by what are we being purified? So the key, the key to this passage is we see that all this, all these blessings we have from, from, that we have are coming through the Word of God. We see, um, looking at verse 23, that we're born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. So that's the crux of it. We're, we're, we are born again by the Word of God, um, and through the, through the message that comes through the Word of God. So, but looking at verse 22, we see there it says, Seeing ye have purified your souls. 
What does it mean to purify your souls? Why is purity important? So when we think about like purity, um, why is purity important? So in technology, let's talk about technology, for instance. You have like these little microchips inside your phone. If you have a smartphone or a computer at home, you got these microchips, super fancy processors, the little tiny, these little tiny processors that used to take up whole rooms that now are like that small or smaller, like these little tiny processors. Well, when they go to manufacture those, they manufacture, you have to go through a clean room first before you get into the facility. And then the facility is a clean room where there's a ventilation system constantly pulling impurities out because you don't want bacteria growing on that. You don't want moisture growing in there and rusting things. You want it to be pure. Same thing with labs that are working on, um, you know, working on medicine. You don't want impurities in there. You know, you don't want rats running around in your, um, your you know, butcher shop, right? You want it to be pure. You, you, no one wants rat in their ground beef. So you need, you, you know, purity is important. So why, it, why is purity important in Christianity? Well, we see that, you know, if you, like sin cannot exist with God. You can't, you, uh, to, to be in heaven, to be in God's presence, you have to be holy. Uh, be holy as he is holy. So purification is, like, it, it's a must. But you see here, it says, seeing ye have purified your souls. Well, how do I purify my soul? Wait a minute. I was like, I thought Christ purifies this. You have purified. Another way you could read that is having your, your souls having been purified or as you continue to purify. So this is talking about sanctification. And I'm sorry, I've got a mint in my mouth. My voice sounds a little weird. My throat's been all messed up ever since COVID, man. It was crazy. But anyway, um, seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth. Okay, so how do I purify my soul? Well, a couple ways. Or I guess let's go back. Let's look again. Why should I be purified? We talked about what purity is. You know, it's just being clean, perfect, without blemish. You know, you think how, talking about faith being refined through trials back in, cha- earlier in chapter one, like gold that's put through a furnace. You know, you put it through the furnace, the dross is taken off, the gold's more pure. You put it through again, the dro- more dross comes off, it's more pure. So why must I be purified? Well, we see in 1 John 3, 3, to paraphrase, it says that everyone who has hope in the hope in Christ will purify themselves because Christ is pure. Daniel 12.10 says, and I, I like this verse back in the very end of Daniel. Um, it says here, uh, let's see here. Daniel 12.10. Many shall be purified and made white and tried. So is that? Many shall be made purified. Talking about like as as like uh, as we're going towards the end. It says the words are closed up and sealed to the end of time. So as we're going towards the end of history, which is you know where where we are now, many shall be purified. So people will become Christians. They'll be made white. And notice it's not them doing it. Someone else. It's it's God's work because they're being made purified. They're being made white, and they're tried. So in order to test the purity of their faith, they're tried through. And it says here. The wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. Which, you know, you kind of think, oh, you know, Paul said that. He said that, you know, the, the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. Um, but we see that, you know, becoming we have to become pure or holy. We have to be made more holy, more like Christ, because that will set us apart from the wicked. It'll be obvious. It starts becoming obvious who those are who are pure in Christ versus the wicked. It sets us apart. If you're living in Christ, you shouldn't look like the world. You should look like you should be looking more like Christ every day, and and wanting what Christ wants and living His way. And then also being purified or sanctified now is a picture 
of the total freedom from sin we'll have one day in heaven and in the new creation. When we'll be completely free from sin, we won't have to be struggling, as Paul talks about there in Romans 7, you know, struggling with our sin and you know, doing things I don't want to do and not doing the things I want to do. We won't be struggling with that anymore one day. We'll be pure. So becoming more sanctified, becoming more like Christ now is... It's, it's kind of a reminder of what, like, you know, a perfect, what it'll look like when we're perfect, finally, in heaven. So the question then we have to ask, okay, cool, purifying your souls. How do you purify your souls? Well, the answer is in obeying the truth and the Spirit. Well, what does that look like? We see in 1 Peter 2.1, as we go through that passage, he shows us, how do you purify yourself? Well, you purify yourself by laying aside all the evil things. So you lay aside your malice, you lay aside your guile, your hypocrisies, your envy, your evil speakings. You lay aside the ways of the world, the ways that you used to live in the world. You lay that all aside. The wor- you, you stop doing the worldly things, and instead, you desire the sincere milk of the word. You desire to be nourished by the word of God and seeking to do what God commands. So then we have to ask, what does purity lead to? What does purity lead to? Well, we see right there in the verse, it leads to unfeigned, or you might say a real love for the brethren and love loving one another from a pure heart. See what it says here in verse 22. Um, Purify your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto, so through the power of the spirit, we're doing, we're becoming sanctified. We're becoming more like Christ. And we do it so that we'll have an unfeigned love of the brethren, seeing that we will love one another with a pure heart fervently. So the best way to love one another is with a pure heart. And it says that like becoming more like Christ will make us want to love the brethren, love our fellow Christians, specifically in our congregation, more like Christ. We'll be loving them fervently. If you look at 1 John, um, 1 John verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through chapter 2, 11, he says a lot about this. I'm going to read that passage because I think it's important. Um, for helping us as we go into this new year and we're thinking about ways we can be more like Christ or live our life more for him. Look at, if you look with me out here, um, 1 John 1, 5, so we starting in 1, 5, it says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There is no impurity in God. There's no darkness. If we say we have fellowship with God, but we walk in darkness, so if we walk in an impure way, we lie and do not have the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with, with another, with, one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, has cleansed us from all sin. So if we're walking in the light, as Peter was mentioning there, and we see John following up here, if we're walking in the light, we will have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ... Uh, his son has cleansed us from all sin. So living peaceably and living in love with your fellow believers in your congregation is a sign and a picture that you have Christ. Think about how many times you see, uh, you've talked to an unbeliever and they may say to you, or even an, even a believer who just doesn't like church right now, you know, and they say, oh, there's so many hypocrites at church. They all bite at each other. They hate each other. We all know of churches that have split over silly things. Sometimes they literally split over carpet. Um, I can tell you actually of one I know of off the top of my head that literally did split over carpet. Um, they might split over deciding to take down a plaque that was outside of a classroom. It's like the silliest reasons that churches can have problems, they do. And so the world looks at that and they say, man, that doesn't look any different than, you know, um, Thanksgiving did it at my house, you know, or we're 
uh, so, like um, Aunt, Aunt Barb was supposed to make pumpkin pie, and then um, someone else brought pumpkin pie, and everyone liked hers better, and you know, she got all bent out of shape, and it just became a fight. They're like, well, that just look, you know, church looks just like that. I don't want that. So, no, in Christ, if we're really walking Christ, we will love one another in spirit and truth. We'll love one another because the blood of Christ has cleansed us, and it'll show that. Like, we'll be, we'll, it'll, it'll, we'll, the world can see that. Continuing in verse 8 there in 1 John, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we, if we, that we know him, if we keep his commandments. So there you go. How do I know I'm saved? Well, I'm keeping his commandments. Like, I, I, I you know, confessed my sins, um, I trusted in him, and then I've been keeping his commandments, or trying to keep his commandments. So that's, it's a sign of salvation. He's, he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But though, whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought to also walk, even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, uh, which thing is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. And he saith that... He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother and abideth in the light, uh, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goes because the darkness, darkness has blinded his eyes. And we saw that, remember back in Daniel chapter 12, 10, it said that you know, those who are wicked, who are not living purified, uh, are, are walking in are, are walking in foolishness and don't even realize it. You see that in Isaiah chapter uh, 59, that those who are living in darkness, living by the ways of the world, it, it's like they're blind men groping around the walls, hoping to find their way to God, hoping to find their way to something that matters. Um, so we see that if you are in Christ, walking in him, you will love your, the brethren at the very baseline. You know, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. But the very baseline as a Christian is loving your fellow Christian specifically in your congregation. Um, so we see here that like there is no excuse for churches when they start backbiting at each other or fighting over things that are not, you know, about doctrinal purity. Um, you know, you should never see, like, it, seriously, Christians will split over the craziest things. I know, like, my, um, my mom's been trying to get me to read this book series. I don't remember who the author is, but he's a, um, he's a, uh, a minister, and uh, the whole entire book series is, is about these little, you know, things he's dealt with as a minister, but he makes jokes, or he certain other ministers deal with, where it's like, uh, just some of the silly things that can go on in churches where, you know, people get bent out of shape because the floral arrangement wasn't done the way they wanted, or someone else got in a committee that they wanted to be on, or, you know, just all these silly things. But we're not to be part of that kind of silliness. We are to love one another, and, you know, love takes give and take, Right? Sometimes, you know, it takes compromises. It, it takes uh, putting others before yourself. So th that's how we ought to be living. And if we are in Christ, that's how we will be living. And it shows that we're in Christ. But I think we've, I think we've beat that enough. Um, looking at, 
verse 23. So continuing, um, if, you're, if you're in the KJV, you'll notice there's a, there's a colon at the end of 22. So we see the sentence is continuing. So seeing that you've purified yourself, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. All right. So let's think about this. Corruptible seed versus incorruptible seed. So you think about, you're thinking about seeds, right? Let's think about plants, for instance. Uh, in this case, it's talking about, you know, we're um, being born again of not of man, but of the word of God. But you think about the word seed, right? Um, any seed I can think of is corruptible or can be corrupted. There's not like a pure seed out there in the world because we're living in a fallen world. But we see here that this seed, this, this, this faith that comes through Christ is through the word of God. It's incorruptible. The word of God is incorruptible, and that's the word by which we're saved. And this is such a great apologetic because the word of God, we've talked about this before, I think, but the word of God is what separates our, like us from, like, from many other religions, if not all of them, is that uh, we have this book that we see, like um, I think Tim Keller put it, the paraphrase, uh, there's a pastor named Tim Keller. He's, he's, gone on to be with, uh, he's gone on to glory here since, but um, he said, you know, all these other religions were saying, hey, I'll show you how to get to God, or I'll show you how to get to heaven. But Christ says, I've come to bring you to God. Like, I've come to, I've come to save you. Um, and that's what we see here, through the word of God. The word is what saves us. So what does it mean to be born again? Looking at verse 23, born again. Now, you notice I was quoting a lot from 1 John there. I went to 1 John. We read that whole thing. John and Peter love the phrase born again, born again, or to be born of God. It comes up around 18 times in the New Testament, and almost every time is in Peter or in one of John's, in 1 John, so, or in John or 1 John. So you see, like in John, it's in the book of John, we see it six times. 1 Peter, it's twice. We see it here and back in verse 3 where it says that you were born, begotten again or born again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then we see in 1 John, it's there again like another six times. And then there's four times and it's in three times in Paul's writing, once in James's. But they love the phrase like being born again, being born of God. And I think that it just shows how that picture stuck with them. Like what it means to be a Christian is being born again. You are completely made new. You're not made, you can't be made new by corruptible things because then what's the point of being born again? You'll be just as bad as you were before. We were born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. Now, we see the word of God, it says, which liveth and abideth forever. What is the power of the word of God for salvation? Well, we see um, we, you know, we're saved according to the scriptures. Um, if we look back at Luke 24, 27, one of, uh, I think, I, I feel like I might quote this every single time I preach, but Luke 24, 27, when Jesus is with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, um, it says, um, he said unto them, O fools, or back in 25, he says, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and enter into glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then when he left, their eyes were open they knew him, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said to one another, Did our hearts not burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? So the scriptures, so Jesus showed them through all the scriptures, so specifically the Old Testament because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. I mean, Jesus had just been resurrected. He shows him through all the scriptures, everything about himself. So it's through the word of God. And then looking at in the book of Acts, 
chapter 18, you will see Apollos, after he's been trained up by Priscilla and Aquila and sent back out. Verse 28 of chapter uh, 18, we see here, um, actually I'll back up to 27. And when, so talking about Apollos, when he was deposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he was come, he helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that uh, publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So what is the power of, of the scriptures? Like, we see once again, we have Apollos. He was a Jew who really knew the Bible, and he was still arguing that John the Baptist, about John the Baptist's salvation, you know, make, way, make uh, straight the ways of the Lord. And then you know, Priscilla and Aquila teach him about Jesus. He learns it. And then he uses the scriptures from then on, once again, the Old Testament, to show who Jesus was and to lead many to Christ. So we see the word of God is powerful. The word of God is so powerful. You think again about um, on the road where you have like the, uh, the eunuch and um, he's, he's, he, the disciples there with him and, and he's, he's reading from the scripture or reading from Isaiah. He's like, well, how am I supposed to know unless someone teaches me? He explained, you know, Philip explains to him what the, what it was about and he wants to get baptized. So we see from the book of Isaiah and you see sometimes in our day and age, we have pastors um, and, you know, I'll just go and drop the name. We have, we have like Andy Stanley saying, hey, we should unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. That's his words, not mine. As in like the Old Testament is just so much baggage. It just, it's so unfriendly to unbelievers. We should unhitch ourselves from it. Like we need to get rid of it. And now you're, you're not going to believe it, but he's suddenly like, you know, okay with, he, he's, leaning towards being okay with, or not, if not already endorsing same-sex marriage and things. Because guess what? He, he's already started saying parts of the Bible don't matter. Once you unhitch yourself from any of it, you might as well just give it all up. So, but he's like, we should unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Why? Jesus didn't. Like, if Jesus didn't, then we shouldn't. Uh, and and it's, it was never about what feels good to unbelievers, because I'm going to tell you, nothing in the scriptures is good to unbelievers unless their heart is regenerated, unless the Spirit is, is opening their eyes. They're going to hate it because it's calling them out for their sins and their lifestyles. Um, it shouldn't be comfortable. Um, but we see here the seed, the this, this, this Scripture that we say by it's, it's, um, it's incorruptible. So being born again means to be made new. It means to be made new. You're, you're, um, the, you're taking off the old flesh, you're putting on the new. And that's where we see a sanctification is becoming more like Christ through that. But let's talk about this Word of God. So it's really interesting it says there, uh, he, he quotes Isaiah uh, chapter, he quotes Isaiah chapter 40 here in verse 24. He quotes Isaiah chapter 40. Now, Isaiah chapter 40, if you'll remember, is that's also where um, we, see, um, we see John the Baptist quoting from. So if you go to Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 3, it says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight the des- in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall be made straight, the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. And by the way, just talking about the importance of the word of God. If you, if you ever want to um, just do an interesting thing, go through, this, go through the prophets, and every time God says, thus says the Lord, or the Lord has spoken, underline it, and you're going to realize you're underlining a whole bunch. And it's like every time the pro- you know, he goes to say prophecy, it's thus says the Lord. It holds so much weight to it because it's the word of God. So we see here, um, verse 6, the voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? 
this is where he's quoting, all flesh is grass and the good, all the goodliness thereof is the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades because the spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. The word of our God shall stand forever. Now, you notice he didn't do an exact quote, and also we have the difference of, you know, you have the, where it's, interp- where it's quoted from the Hebrew versus quoted from, you know, he's, he's doing, he's, Peter is quoting from the Septuagint, which is a Greek version, anyway. Um, but we see the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Lord, the word of the Lord endures forever. His word endures forever. You think about, what does that mean? Like, how powerful is that, right? You're, you're, when we're trying to figure it out, how does the word of the Lord endure forever? Well, for one, you think if you, if you research like how old the book of Job is, which is probably the oldest book in the, uh, like oldest written book for the Bible, really old, like it's pre-Moses, it's really old. Like when you think about these, these things and these, like the stories that were passed down to, to uh, Moses correctly so that he could write them down, you know, the stories of Adam and Eve, the story of like basically creation, um, these oral histories, God kept those and preserved those so the truth so it would be told truthfully to his people and to all the world that they would see the truth. Um, the word of the Lord endures forever. It doesn't fade away. You think about flesh and grass. Okay. So that's kind of it's it's sometimes the Bible gets the like we, we don't in our modern age, the Bible sometimes speaks in ways that like people in America don't often talk. Or in our, like we often try entertaining ourselves to death in our in our culture. Um you know, how, how many people sit around and want to talk about serious things? You always hear like, oh, well, you know, in public, don't talk about, you know, faith and, or religion and politics. And then that also goes to don't talk about philosophy. You know, don't talk about anything that ruins my vibes, man. Like we're going to, you know, good vibes only, as some people will say. Um, I don't want to hear, think about anything sad. Don't want to think of anything, you know, lonely. But you think only like 100 years ago, even 150 years ago, it was common for, for people to have just a lot of death in their lives. Like, you, you know, you hear stories where it's like, yeah, like um, she gave birth 11 times and only, only five of the kids made it to adulthood, you know? Like, just you hear about that kind of tragedy all the time. Death was everywhere. Everyone was acquainted with death. Um, it, it was just something you thought about. It was something you, you knew about. But today's culture, a lot of times we, we push it to the side, you know, we just we, we don't want to think about it. We don't want to think about the fact that our lives might come will come to an end someday. We want to think about living forever. Uh, how can we you know get the most out of this life now? Um, but we see here that flesh is grass, and 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 like the flower, like you know the wind blows on the flower fades and it falls away. You think I mean, um, I think the 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 longest I've seen flowers last throughout the year was these chicory plants I had in my yard this year. It was like six months that they were blooming. Uh, that's about the longest I've ever seen a, something bloom out in the wild. Uh, otherwise, they, they get cooked by the weather and they die. Uh, and then they bloom again next year. But that's how we are. Like Life's like a vapor. You know, you go to sleep and then it's over. Um, and and it's not only, like, sometimes we don't like to dwell on that or think about that. Um, I know for me, I didn't get that opportunity to not think about that. Um, you know, it's been about, in about a week. It'll have been 20 years since my dad passed away. And I was 13. I had just become a Christian. He passed away. I mean, it was just instantly, you know, there's death in my life. How do I deal with it? Uh, world's shaken, turned upside down. Um, and, you know, my, my dad probably thought, like, you know, hey, I'm going to be there forever. I'll help him out doing this and that. Didn't get that opportunity. So 
what I'm saying is like, you know, we can make promises. You know, we, we always want to be there for others, like people we love. We want to care for them, help them. But ultimately, they can't put their trust and hope in us to always be there for them. You know, um, all of us parents would love to be there forever for our kids, but we won't get that opportunity. We'd love to be there for our friends all the time, but sometimes, you know, they're too far away. We can't reach out and touch them and love them. But the word of God abides forever. The psalmist says that God does not sleep, nor does he slumber. And we see that, we see that when... Um, when Elijah's mocking the prophets of Baal, telling them, you know, he must be resting or relieving himself. You know, Baal's not home at the moment. You know, please leave a message. God is never away. He is on his throne, reigning, in, like, reigning forever. He doesn't slumber and sleep. You know, when you're feeling anxious, when, when, when you're struggling in life, you can go to bed and rest peacefully because you know that God is awake. He's active. He's working all things together for the good of those who love him, as it says in Romans, and he'll be there for you. Um, that word of God that we are saved by, it abides forever. Think about it. We're talking about scriptures that were written 2,000 years ago at the latest for like the, you know, the newest books 2,000 years ago. And, and, and it's still just as meaningful now as it was back then which is more meaningful than anything else in this world. There's so many good books out there, you know, to read, but ultimately none of them are as impactful and as meaningful as the Bible because they're not the word of God, which it says in Hebrews, it's like a sword that cuts, it's a double-edged sword that cuts all the way down through marrow and tissue. It cuts to the very soul. Nothing else in this world cuts to the very soul except for the word of God, um, which we have written, and it's here before us. Um, you think like 2,000 years ago, what was going on 2,000 years ago? I mean, how much stuff in our lives do we, do we you know, keep from 2,000 years ago? Maybe, you know, the importance of roadways and systems like, you know, the Romans had. But I mean, we, we certainly are not living by, you know, Roman era sanitation systems. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but I like having, you know, a working toilet system that gets all the mess away from us. Um, <laughs> I like, you know... Um, I like having a sanitation department that comes and picks up my trash and takes it away. Uh, I like having power and electricity. You know, um, I think we can all agree that, you know, uh, Carrier made one of the best inventions of all time with the air conditioner. Um, don't, you know, just we have refrigerators. Like, you know, we don't live, like we're not really taking lessons from, from 2,000 years ago on how to live. But here we have this book that's 2,000 years and older. But it's just as meaningful now as it was then. And it shows, you know, in, in, in making us more like Christ. So the word of the Lord endures forever. And it says here in verse 25, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So the gospel that was preached unto us, no matter how it came to us, was preached by the word of God, because it came from the word of God. You know, the, the gospel came from the word of God, and it was the word of God. Um, so thinking about those things, um, it's a little side note. You know, at the beginning, of, uh, usually, you know, start of the year, we all, like a lot of people will build resolutions, which I'll tell you that, you know, any day is a good day to start, you know, to, to do a life change. You don't have to wait for January 1st. Um, but a lot of times, you know, when the year starts, people say, you know what, I'm going to read the Bible all the way through this year. And they get on some kind of plan and, you know, the plan doesn't work very well, especially if you go through a plan where you're like, like never just say I'm going to read straight through. That's hard. I mean, unless you really are dedicated because you're going to get to Leviticus and Numbers and it's going to be really hard. Um, it's gonna be really hard and you're gonna be like, man, I don't know about this. Then you get to Deuteronomy and you're gonna be like, I just read this. Like, cause it's, you know, it's this little law a second time. You're like, I just read all this. Like, um, I wouldn't read it straight through. What I would recommend to get used to reading scripture is pick your favorite book. Like, I think John's a great start. It's an easy read. Pick, pick an easy read in the Bible, like the book of John. 
read that through. You start getting yourself used to reading the scripture, and then, you know, just start, just, just, you know, there's no, there's no shame in grabbing low-hanging fruit, right? I mean, you might think, hey, okay, um, I can't read a book of the Bible. Read Jude. I know it's just a chapter, but it's, 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 you know, that, that's getting started. Just read anything. That's all that matters. Read, just read the word of God. doesn't matter if you read it all the way through. Just start reading. That's all. You don't have to worry about, you know, keeping some kind of program or regimented because then you'll start, you know, sometimes you can start getting pharisaical about it or like beating yourself up for not and feel like you're a lesser Christian. You're not. Just any amount of the word of God you read is great. Um, and, and, you know, there's no, there's no shame in, in only reading like the, the easy parts first because then you get used to it and then you start understanding it more and then you'll, you'll grow a love for it and then you'll want to read more. So um, that, that's just my two cents there. All right. So let's move into to verse 1 of chapter 2. We see here, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all speakings. So we talk about that. Laying aside all these things that are sinful and against you know, God, you know, that might mean that we have to, we have to we, if, if you become a Christian later in life or, if you, like, or you know, in, your Christ, in your Christian walk, you might have friends who kind of keep you into these kind of things. You might have to change your friendships. You might have to be, you might have to, to um, change how you live your life so you can avoid these things. But get rid of these things, he says. Lay them aside. And what does he say in verse 2? As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. All right. Now, you may be, you, you may, may be thinking of the book of Hebrews here. Uh, this is kind of what I thought of. I'm like, okay, well, that's kind of weird. Uh, you know, you want, now, Peter's saying drink milk, but... But then Hebrew, and the author of Hebrews is like, hey, by now you guys should be eating milk or eating meat and you're still drinking milk. So what, what gives? Well, it says here the sincere milk. In this case, he's saying like newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word. So basically, when you're a baby, all the nutrients you need are in that milk from, from, from your mother. All the nutrients you need. Desire milk like that. Like, desire the word like that. Like, this is the only thing that'll help me grow as a Christian is the word of God. Desire it. Like, like desire it like, um, like as much as you would food or drink. Um, it's not, you know, uh, they're, they're, using, they're using the analogy two different ways. The author of Hebrews and, the, and then Peter here. They're using it two different ways, the idea of milk. So, and why do we want to desire the milk of the word of God? So that we may grow thereby. It's from the word of the Lord that we grow. It's from the word of the Lord that we see ourselves um, for who we are, that we see, um, we, we, we learn how to be more like Christ, how we, where we learn. You think, um, you, you may think like, well, I'm not a theologian. Well, here's the secret. Theologians, if they're, if they're doing it correctly, everything they say, everything they believe is coming from the word of God. So you don't have to go find out what a theologian believes. You can start by reading the word of God and then, let that impact how you, how you read theology. Um, you don't have to um, go to the commentators. You can read what the commentators are reading. And then when you don't understand, you know, after you keep reading around, look at the context, then you can go to commentators. But go to the Word of God. This is where, as Christians, this is where we will grow. And then that also means, you know, uh, sitting under the preaching of the Word, taking notes if, you, if you're a note taker, but trying to focus, you know, sometimes focus, it, it's a little hard, right? Sunday morning, you could be a little hungry, lunch is coming up. So, you know, if that's something you struggle with, eat a big breakfast, in the more, you know, in the morning. Try getting a good night's sleep the night before. These are little things you can do to try helping so that when you go into Sunday school and go into preaching of the word that you can, in, in, in Sunday morning, that you can 
like be taught from the word. Like we need to just desire the word and to want to, to learn from it. You know, you might hear a good radio preacher that you like, like listen to it. A good preacher who has podcasts, listen to them. You know, feed yourself the word of God throughout the week. There's no, there's, it's um, something that, a luxury that we have that they didn't have for you know, millennia, obviously. Um, so just those, those are little things you can do. Just desire it, read it. And um, we see here that he, he, lives, he adds a little addendum there. Verse 3, if so, be ye have tasted the word that the Lord is gracious. So if you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, you'll want to, you'll want to, to do this. You'll want to read. You'll want to hear it. Because you've, you like, listen, the Lord is gracious. This is the only place. Like, the Lord is where all the grace I've, you know, when you've received the Lord, when you've, when you've been saved, you've realized that God is where every blessing you've ever had has come from. The ability to walk, talk. Um, like I said, enjoy the sunshine, enjoy the, you know, if, if you're able to you know, hear fine, enjoy the laughter of children, uh, enjoy hearing people tell funny stories or, you know, talk, talk to you about their events. You know, there's so many blessings that we take for granted and they all have come through the Lord. And because we've tasted that, we, we want to, we should want to get to know more about him. So let's look at where he quoted that from Psalm 34. Now, a lot of people think that, um, Peter, was most likely like meditating a lot on Psalm 34 because he quotes it quite a bit in this in the book or references it. So you look at Psalm 34 because uh, Psalm 34 is um is about like it's, it was written by David after he changed his behavior and acted crazy in front of Abimelech, so he let him go. Um, and we see that David is thanking God for you know caring for him in his times of trouble, which we see in Peter. He's asking, he's encouraging them to live a life for God even when they're being persecuted. But yeah, look here at verse 8 in, in Psalm 34. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. And then he says, Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. So if you fear, if you trust in the Lord, you won't have, you won't have any want. It says, The young lions do lack. They suffer hunger. But... They that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. And it says, Come ye children, and I will hear- and hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life, and loveth many days, that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil, thy lips from speaking guile. It's interesting, uh, if you remember in chapter 2, verse 1 there in Peter, he just said, you know, put away all guile. See, so it's, in a lot of ways, he's referencing back to this psalm. Keep your tongue from evil, the lips from speaking guile. He also talks about not speaking evil. Depart from evil, do good, seek peace, pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and he delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. He keeps all of his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, but they that hate, they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. But the Lord redeemed the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. So we see that we taste and see that the Lord is good. He is not, you gotta love that. He is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. He saves such of those of a contrite spirit. So run from evil, do good, not to please God, to earn his, well, when I say please God, I mean to earn his salvation or earn his favor because Christ had to do that for us. We can't earn it on our own, 
but do good because that's what God wants us to do. So you can be more like Christ. You can be holy as he is holy. And just look at all these promises. God is there for the brokenhearted who are righteous. He will take care of you. He will comfort you. He will, um, he will protect you from the evil one. And just keep those promises in mind, like we see there in Psalm 34, we see in 1 Peter. So as we look into the new year, and as we go forward, I just remember that by the word of God, we have been saved, and we should live holy as he is holy, because that's what God wants us to do. And we need to do it not just not to earn his favor, but out of our love and desire to be more like Christ and to show a broken world in need um, what it's like to live as a Christian and to teach them the gospel, which is like uh, verbally. Um, to, and, and, you know, if you're living in Christ, it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to share the gospel if you're um, trying, if you're pursuing holiness. You know, pursuing holiness means you know that you'll fall short, but you, you ask God to forgive you, you repent of your sins, and then you, you, you try doing better, like um, through the grace of the Spirit. Uh, so, but, but it's a lot easier to share the gospel when you're trying to be more like Christ than when you're not, because then you'll feel hypocritical and like, well, I shouldn't tell anyone about Jesus, because, you know, then they'll know that, like, they'll be like, well, wait a minute, you're, a, you're being a hypocrite. See, it's a lot easier when you're pursuing righteousness, so that's part of it. Like, it helps, it's, it helps you be a better um, gospel presenter. And ultimately, of course, doesn't matter how bad you are presenting the gospel, the Holy Spirit is who will do that work. So keep that in mind. I just want to encourage you. Like, so like a final word of encouragement would you just be just read the word of God. Just get into it. Read the Psalms. Read John. I guess definitely read the gospel of John. Super easy. And also the gospel of Mark. Um, really easy to get into. And then just, you know, start, um, like read slowly, you know, hear the words, see the words, um, reread them. Um, see what, uh, like read Sunday school stories that you read before, but You'll read them with new eyes, you know. You might not be reading them at the same pace. You might be reading them like a little bit in, a, in the narrative, and it'll it'll blow your mind what all you see there you might not have noticed before. So with that in mind, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the grace that comes through Christ. Lord, thank you for salvation. Thank you that we deserved your wrath, but through Christ and through through the, the grace, through that you um, had him, he, he, he lived a life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserve, and he rose again so that we could be free from our sins and live with you for eternity. God, thank you so much for that. Help us to take that hope, that love that you have given us, and to share it with the world uh, verbally and through our actions, Lord. Um, help us to be uh, like, like um, good seasoning to all those around us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.